All right, let's go ahead and get started. Let's go ahead and get started. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father in heaven, for keeping us through the through the night. Thank you, Lord, for the rain that's in our way. Thank you for the snowstorm that came. Um, thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. We pray for those that uh, need us to pray for them, especially right now I'm thinking about uh, Natalie and others, Lord, who, who um, find themselves hit with COVID and the flu and other things, Lord. I pray that you'd be with them all and grant them recovery, a speedy recovery, grant them comfort in the midst of a dis- uncomfortable uh, ailment and um, grant them to bounce back, Lord. Thank you that you hear us, that you care about us and our well-being. Lord, be with us now as we jump into this class and we move further on, and um, especially as we talk about hospice, we pray that you would uh, guide us and that we would be we would be more thoughtful and be able to, to give wise counsel even to others, whether in our family or with friends. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a couple of things. Um, uh, last week we didn't have copies of the DNR, but now there's 20 copies back there on the table. There's also a couple other the paper copies from last week if you need those. There's also, I didn't print enough for everybody because I didn't think everybody would want one, but, but there's copies of the slides back there as well. This series, this slide, this set of slides, we're going to talk about hospice and some of you may want to look at those things and keep, uh, keep note of those. Okay. Um, plus, there's a great book back there and it's called Mom, Dad, Can We Talk? And the subtitle is Helping Our Aging Parents with the Insight and Wisdom of Others. When I listened to this guy give this speech, this was years ago, he actually spoke, uh, he was already in his 70s, he was the the head of elder care at the Mayo Clinic. And so uh, it was a great little talk on the book and the idea was uh, there are conversations you have to have with your aging parents and it's filled with some funny stories. I mean, like the gal who had to have her car taken away from her because she was running into things. And so she happily gives her car keys to her family. And as soon as her family leaves, all delighted that they finally had that conversation, she calls the car dealer on the phone and says, bring me another car and pays for the next car, right? Just funny. But the value of the book, I always recommend it, especially when someone is caring for, um, for members of their family that are getting older, but it's also for younger folks as well um, all of us should probably read something like this, so we'll have to be able to know, oh, we need to have this, these conversations now, right? Like that one time my mom sent me in her car, and she started going down the checklist about the car and saying, here's the car, blah, blah, blah. and one day it'll be yours because you'll have to take the keys for me. And then she turned at me and she glared and she goes, and I will fight you tooth and nail, right? So she knew, she, she knew that conversation was coming, so... But the, the book is actually really beneficial. And there's copies back there. Uh, if you want to donate to those, just put those in the plastic box on the book table because that's where these have been for the last couple of years. Okay? There we go. So, um, enough of all that. So we're getting into the series, uh, getting into, this is, I think, part six into Before It's Time, Considerations as the End Gets Near. We're answering questions. We've been answering several of these. Are we to do everything it takes or costs to live as long as possible? Is there time to refuse life-sustaining treatment? Uh, we looked at advanced directives and DNR and do not intubate 
last week, last two weeks, and now we're moving in to these other questions. Uh, what is the role of hospice? Does it mean we're giving up? Why is getting our house in order, 2 Kings 2, 20 verse 1, an important action before we're gone? Is cremation right or sinful? Should Christians do a church funeral or a funeral home memorial service? And what does a Christian funeral and burial mean? So we're, gonna, we're moving into this part here. And specifically, we're not going to answer this one necessarily, the second one. Why is getting our house in order tonight or today? Though this is actually a part of that. Uh, but we're going to look at what's the role of hospice and does it mean that we're giving up, okay? And I use that phrase because I actually have heard people say that many times. I don't want to go in hospice. I don't want my son to go in hospice or my wife to go in hospice because it means we're giving up, okay? And so that's why I put that on there. So we want to talk about hospice today. But before we do, I want to do a video from Catherine Butler. We've been watching some of hers. And you might want some Kleenex. Um, I assume that we will probably cry as we get to the end. It's only about four and a half minutes, okay? And so, can you get that light? Thank you. 
Showed the video a couple reasons. Number one was um, just a reminder again that God is not precluded from any of those situations, right? He's in the hospital, he's in hospice, he's right there. And the other aspect is just how I had many episodes, experiences just like that, where people um, lingered until that last person came in, the last adult child came in. I told you a couple of stories where there was reconciliation and once that was said, you know, they were ready to go. And it's just, it just reminds you again of how uh, everything is not automatic and it's not mechanical, right? And it's, there's just so much of the human story there, but also God's mercy and all of that. And so, so let's talk about hospice then. It used to be long, long ago, so first off, the history of hospice, I don't remember the gal's name. Her name was Dame Cicely something or other in England. And she actually uh, was uh, dealing with some family issues in the hospitals at the time in England. Uh, as soon as a patient was dying, the doctors just deserted them and just walked off and left them to the nurses. And that was the end of the story. And so uh, if anybody, does anybody ever read Elizabeth Kubler Ross's uh, Death and Dying? Yeah, yeah. So I remember one of the only one of the few stories in the book that I remember. It was really an interesting book, but but there was a couple of stories that stuck out. One was when she started her research. She went into the hospitals and she asked the uh, administration and the doctors, "Where are your patients who are dying?" And she was told repeatedly, "We don't have anybody die here." And it was just kind of this weird facade. She had to actually go hunt them out, the people that were terminal, and because there was just this 
corporate, uh, corporate myth that nobody dies in our hospital. We save everybody kind of thing, right? So uh, anyway, so Dame Sicily, whatever her last name is, um, she experienced that. So what she did is uh, she started working on uh, getting her doctorate. She was uh, already in her 50s or so, went and got her MD in England, and then uh, started moving towards uh, raising awareness for what became known later as hospice. She created a whole... She was a Christian. She created a, a system of actually caring for dying patients in England. That was in the 50s. They came over to the U.S. in the mid-60s, and then slowly over time, hospice has become um, a viable option um, in the last 40 years, 50 years, okay? But it didn't used to be there, okay? And so hospice used to, in a sense, if you allow me to use the house as an example, hospice used to be the whole house when it comes to uh, end-of-life issues. When it was finally established, it became the whole house. And palliative care was just one of the rooms in the house. It used to be whenever somebody said, well, the doctor wants me to start talking to the palliative care specialist, that always meant hospice. Okay? Because palliative care is uh, medical care for comfort when, um, at least at the time, when there was probably no chance of recovery. So it was the idea of being comfortable. So like I said, it used to be that this was, when I was working as a chap on the hospice, this was still the case uh, pretty much is that hospice was the whole house and palliative care was one room in the house. Um, in time though, it became obvious that palliative care was bigger than just end-of-life issues. Lots of people have chronic ailments. Anybody had dealt with somebody with fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome, right? There's just this chronic ailment and pain. Um, I think about migraines, people who have cr uh, chronic migraines, just all of that. So palliative care became a separate specialty dealing with comfort, um, uh, pain management, things like that. Anybody heard of pain management? Yeah, okay. Being tedious here. The palliative care became the house, and hospice became uh, moved in as part of the house. So it's no longer what you mean by when you say palliative care, it doesn't mean hospice. And I, I, I it dawned on me, it had to do with Scranton. It had to do with Scranton um, when um, about a year ago, his Aaron, his, his stepdaughter, said, We've, we've got to, to move him into palliative care or something like that. Well, I thought, well, that hospice, because that's the way it was when I was working hospice. But no, he wasn't in hospice. He was actually in pain management. Now he's moved kind of into more of a hospice realm, but, but it was that palliative care came first. It was actually that comfort. So I learned something a year ago. I do learn things once in a while. And so this is kind of uh, the double egg or the two leaves kind of gives you the idea of palliative care can be received in any stage of a disease uh, and it can occur even as you're working on curative treatment. You can have palliative care even during curative treatment, whereas hospice, the prognosis is that if the disease runs its course like it looks, uh, you you, this person will live maybe six months max. Now that's not a, in stone, right, because that I've seen too many cases where that went on, but that's how you get into hospice care. Part of it is the prognosis is six months or less and you're no longer doing curative treatment. So that's palliative care, you can be doing curative treatment. Hospice, you can't be doing curative treatment. You've moved to care, not cura 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 the curative, okay? The two meet kind of in the middle. Optimize comfort, reduce stress, provide emotional and spiritual support, and relieve symptoms. I'm, I just wanna 
try to help you get the sense of where these two are at. So if you hear somebody say something about palliative care, you know that doesn't necessarily mean hospice, etc. right? And if you have any questions, just ask, and I'll turn everything over to Sue Ann, because she's back there. <laughs> so here's another way to look at it is palliative care is this bigger egg, um, living with a life-limiting illness, uh, with any prognosis, symptom management, it deals with symptom management, maximizing quality, quality of life, palliative or chemotherapy, radio, radiotherapy, palliative surgery, uh, which is comfort surgery, maximizing community support, psychosocial support. And that's the palliative care is the bigger egg, and then inside of that comes uh, the hospice part. And so this moves into um, the condition is not curative, weeks to months to live, symptom management, still the same thing, symptom management, spiritual care, psychosocial support, and then you come to the very last part, the inner egg here, um, for terminal care, there's only days or hours left of life and so forth. Does that, does that picture help kind of see the, kind of the big scheme? Okay. Oh, you've got it in your handout. If you pick up that handout, you'll have your own special copy. I'll even autograph it for you, though I didn't make the picture. Okay. I stole these off all online. Yeah, this is all this stuff is I've got uh, a lot of this stuff I just pulled offline. In fact, I'm going to get into something I took from Integris Hospice here in just a minute, which was really helpful. So, any questions about up to this point? Seeing none. So, this part I got from Integris Hospice. I just cut and paste and put them in. Okay, and I'll give you if you get the handout, you actually have the website. If you need to go to that website and go look at this, and it gets into more details. It even has a page where it gets into the history of hospice, which is interesting on its own. So hospice care is a specific type of palliative care regulated by Medicare for patients who have six months or less to live. That's the prognosis. It looks like it could be six months or less. Hospice care is appropriate when the focus of treatment becomes comfort instead of curative. Okay, so if you're in hospice and uh, something miraculous happens, and that cancer all of a sudden just disappears. Okay, we had a young five-year-old who had sinus cancer. It was a heartbreaking story. But anyways, she lost her sight. But somewhere in there, it wasn't enough. We had several churches praying for her. Our church was praying for her. We didn't violate HEPA law, by the way. But we were praying for her. There were several other churches praying for her. And all of a sudden, the pain went away. They had to pull her out of hospice care to take her back to the doctors to go get the... MRI or whatever, looked for the tumor, the tumor was gone. And so she was then in, moved out of hospice care permanently at that point. And so, so that's what would have to happen if you, if, uh, if something goes on and you think maybe there's a chance for cure, cure, then you have to move out of hospice to do it. Does that make sense? Uh, when curative treatment is no longer available, hospice can be a beneficial care option for patients and a tremendous source of emotional and physical support for their families. Um, and, it, it, and it is, the nurses, it's a different, uh, not that nurses are cold, they're not cold, but when it comes to hospice, they're just hypersensitive to what they're doing. And so there's all, I mean, I've, I've watched more nurses, you know, talk about, openly about their faith. Who cares what else is going on? They talk about their faith, they talk, and I don't know, I mean, 
you know, it's really, it was just really touching. And to watch them, they cry, just like their patients, families crying. I mean, they're just into it. It's really uh, very intense. And then there's almost all hospices have chaplains, uh, besides social workers, just everything you can think of to try to help. And then, of course, there's a, a doctor or two on the staff that deal with this. But, but the six months or less is not written in stone in the sense that just because somebody goes in hospice doesn't mean they're only going to make it six months max. Like I had one, client, one patient who the disease, he should be gone in six months. He'd been in hospice eight years. It was the weirdest thing, right? Yeah, well, no, they didn't. <laughs> But um, he was an honorary guy, so they were. If they were, I, I think they were probably thinking, "Well, Lord, if there was one person you could take a little sooner." And, but I watched people with COPD and emphysema who were, you know, oxygen deprived, and then as soon as they came into hospice and the care they were getting, all of a sudden they were relaxed and able to breathe, and they would outlive the prognosis, maybe an extra two months or three months or a little bit longer, and so. Six months is not a death sentence. It's just what it looks like. The doctor's professional opinion, what it looks like is if this disease runs its course, you probably have six months max. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's actually run by Medicare. That's probably because they're the ones that put this whole boundary around some of this stuff, all right? And so if they're gonna put money into it, then they're saying, here's how much money we're, you know, this is, this is the criteria, so to speak. Sorry, money does show up in this. Uh, hospice services don't automatically end at six months. So I'm just talking about this. Some people in hospice can live much longer. Medicare, for instance, continues to provide hospice coverage after six months if the patient's doctor recertifies that the patient is terminally ill that's the criteria that he's terminally ill in the normal course of the disease he will probably die in six months well he's been doing this already for a year i'm just telling you that's what the doctor says right and so medicare is happy with that content with that hospice is not just for the elderly patients children my own experience children uh, receive hospice care as do patients with an end-stage chronic illness as well as those with progressive degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, ALS, and more. And so you might be interested in this. I found out, I talked to a hospice nurse this week and she was saying that no longer can you just, can it just be dementia? It has to be specifically Alzheimer's. There has to be a specific diagnosis of Alzheimer's rather than just the broad, broader category of dementia. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it would have to be something that was definitely terminal in a sense, right? Yeah, so, yes. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. So like Suzanne's saying, is there are other things with that as well? And so, um, so it's not just the one issue. So. Yes. You have the power. Ah, there we go. The, the force is not strong with this one. 
So hospice's goal is to make the patient as comfortable as possible by focusing on three related aspects, the physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being of the patient. Hospice counseling also helps patients and families come to terms with the process and gives them a support network. Um, hospice usually has uh, support groups for after the loved one has died. Um, they have an ongoing support. I mean, this is, it's a, it's a bigger deal than just this person is dying, right? So there's actually grief care, things like that afterwards. And I really, I really do appreciate that. But they look at, they work at several different angles all at the same time. And, uh, and because of that, um, they really, they do, they, you hear nurses giving you, you know, talking, arm around you, sitting down with you, weeping with you at times, things like that. I mean, you just have all of this going on. And sometimes with hospice, I think, is Lori in here? I think one time, didn't we do some needlework guild stuff for a hospice or seemed like, oh no, it was, it was veterans, that's what it was. It was a veterans home. But there are groups that actually do, uh, will, will work and make blankets, for example, to give to hospice because that, people are cold, because circulation is going down, right? And so all these blankets show up and people will volunteer to do all those things. Uh, so it really is a, um, anyways, just trying to give you the, the bigger picture of it here. Uh, despite these benefits, many people still have the misconception that you come to hospice at the very end of a person's life but patients don't have to wait until their final week or days of life to choose hospice care. Instead, hospice experts urge families to discuss end-of-life issues well in advance while an ill person can still state his or her wishes. And sometimes it's not the patient delaying the choice, but instead the family who isn't ready to select the option. This is the same thing we go back to as we talk about um, uh, ending certain life-sustaining treatments and so forth. It's, sometimes it's the family that actually is not ready to let go. Okay, and so if you remember again our Lord's statement, you know, love one another, uh, treat one another as you would have others treat you. Right. Same thing even with end-of-life issues. And I think, well, would I want to go through all that stuff? No. Well, why would I want to make them linger in that if if that's not what they want? You know, in the suffering. And I did see some of this also. So this is where I got it from. As I said, if you get the handout, if you take the slides, you'll see the websites down at the bottom there. So you can go and look and there's some other resources to look at. There are some other items and whatnot. So any questions or anything up to this point? Um, so there are three normal types of hospice care. There's the in, the, in the in the hospital hospice care. I remember in Midland, we actually, uh, Midland Hospital actually finally set up a wing that was just hospice care in the hospital. It was, that was new in, in 2005. They didn't have a hospice section in the hospital um, at the time. And so they had a, started, they started having a hospice section in the hospital. So you, you'll run across that at times, right? And then there's also um, inpatient hospices that are called hospice, uh, hospice house or hospice facilities of various kinds. And those will be places where, and they're, they're used for several reasons. They're, they're beneficial on several different levels. It may be that you're coming out of the hospital, the family is incapable because nobody has the physical ability to actually help 
the one who's dying in some way, and so the hospice house is a good choice. It could be that you're the caregiver. So let's say that um, let's say that uh, Janelle is taking care of Scott as he's coming to the end. Well, Janelle's exhausted, right? Maybe she has a momentary ish health issues or something. She may end up having Scott go to the hospice house just so she can have a reprieve. There's actually a limit. It's like, you do that, there's like eight days or something like that. You can stay in the hospice house. They give you a break, right? And so that's part of that multiple level of care, right? And so there's different reasons for a hospice house, but that's one of the, one of the areas of uh, treatment or care is in a hospice facility. And then in home, surrounded by loved ones. I think that's really important to keep in mind is that it used to be all of our great-grandparents died usually at home, surrounded by their kids, aunts and uncles, in-laws and outlaws, you know, everybody they could ever want to be surrounded by, right? And then as time has gone by, we've moved it more institutional. We're surrounded by machines and white rooms and cold floors. That's why you get those cool socks with the little rubber things on the bottom because of the cold feet, right? Yeah. <laughs> Steve's got a collection, by the way. That's what, that's, what they, that's what they decorate the Christmas tree with is the different colored socks he got every time you've been. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, it used to be, yes. It is. It's a good support, and uh, again, the the the, the I, part of the idea is is not dying in a clinical situation where you are separated from loved ones. So, like the Dr. Butler was talking about the ICU, the kid, the guy, the fellow in the ICU. I mean, that was the situation was such that he was in there, right? But that was separated from everybody. When Gary Peabody was in the ICU, there was nobody allowed to go see him. It was right in the middle of COVID and everything else. It was just Denise, really, and she was able to bring in the kids, but then it was just one person in the room, right? And then finally, as he was coming to the end, the family just called, uh, the doctor, the, the hospital called her up and said, this is, he's coming to the end. And you know what? No, 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 no end of who can come. All the family, you can bring all the kids in and can I bring my pastor? Yes, you can bring your pastor. So I was Gary, but it was, you know, which was a good moment. It was a good time to be there. But you, you can die in a clinical situation like that, or, you know, the idea behind hospice is that you actually are in a more intimate situation or can be in a more intimate situation with family, which is, I don't know about you, but that's who I would like to be around when I'm gone. Yeah. 
Yeah, nice phrase. Did you, Moose, did you have hospice with uh, your family as they were? Yeah. Yeah. It was it was touchy coming come to your house and and as your dad was declining and singing and praying with him and you'd been singing that song to him and with him that whole time it was just touching us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Right.
Yeah. Right. And it is, it is hard. And, and, and you need to remember if that when you when it comes to this point, like, for example, if you have somebody with COPD and, and emphysema, there's some un, kind of nerve rattling things that happen. I mean, they're oxygen deprived. There'll be a lot of thrashing at times and it's not guppy breathing. It's not that they're, you know, I remember going to one of my first in my first congregation, going to a guy who was in the hospital and his family was just traumatized because he was restless trying to breathe and he was in a coma. He was tossing back and forth. They said, is his dad not ready to go? Is he not right with Jesus? Is that why this is happening? No, he can't breathe. He's like a drowning man. Oh, that's what it is, you know. And so, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's really, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moose, real quick. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important to remember because um, there is an extra, I mean, there's, there's uh, morphine that's used and what are some of the other painkillers? Ativan and so, huh? Fentanyl, oh my goodness. So fentanyl, um, but, but they're used with a terminal patient, right? And so they're not killing them, they're giving them comfort. And sometimes people who've been in the medical community, I mean, I've seen this happen, who, like you were talking about with Lisa, her experience, they see this, well, they know that this is not good in those situations, but this is a different situation. And so they're not killing them, they're giving them comfort, okay, as they go to the end. Yeah, yeah. 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 So my favorite my favorite was that when the nurses came in one time from hospice and they were like, they were talking about one of my patients and they said, uh, yeah, he's not going to take oxygen. Really? Why? His whole reason? He didn't want to become addicted. Dude, you can't live without him. What are you doing? You know, that's like the patient who smoked cigarettes while he was doing the oxygen and wondered why his face blew up, you know, so. Were you going to say something, Sue Ann? Yeah, yeah, right. Right. Yeah. 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 
Yep, absolutely. So hospice is not about giving up. If I, if you get nothing else out of the class, hospice is not about getting, giving up. It's not about speeding up the end. As one hospice nurse said to me, the one I talked to this last week, it's about helping folks finish their life journey with dignity. She, in fact, she was very Christian. She said it's helping them to walk the rest of the way with their good shepherd, Jesus. Right? I thought, what a great picture. All right? And so, um, so it's not about giving up. And a hospice, sorry, but hospice is regulated by Medicare, which means there are criteria that must be met even to come into a hospice care. There's actually things, there's certain criteria you've got to meet and so forth. But I'm just letting you know that just so you'll have the information. Uh, here, so here's some of the history. Hospice, I already gave you the history back. It started in the 1950s. Um, and you can see more of that if you go look it up. Um, so we're kind of wrapping up at the end, but before I get to this last part, is there any, any other questions or anything? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't push, but I would definitely, you know, encourage them. You know, we, this is part of our calling. We, we care for you at the end. Others care for us at the end. It's, it, it's fitting for us to be here. And if, you know, of course, if, if they at the end say, still don't want you here, then you're kind of stuck, right? Because at the end there, but that's what you would encourage. I think you would just continue to encourage it. And I, I think most people want it. Even, even with a little resistance, they want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you go see Steve, that, when that, if that day ever comes, or when that day comes, make sure you bring a bunch of jokes with you. It's really good to have a sense of humor, not to over, you know, in a bad way, but there is a humor to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Stop it. Yes, you don't call 911, you don't call the doctor, you call the hospice, folks. Yeah. 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 They'll walk you through all that. If, uh, when you get to that point, they'll walk you through all that for those reasons. Now, 
So there's, they'll also go through and they will show you, they'll tell you some of the signs the person is coming to the end, like modeling feet and so forth, which is really helpful. So I remember uh, Anna's grandmother who was dying and her, uh, Anna's, uh, Anna's aunt was a nurse. And they were, her, her aunt and her mother were traumatized because grandma's feet turned black. And they thought, what did we do wrong? Right? They felt like they had killed her, right? And so, but that's a normal, kind of a normal process and all that. And so actually having gone through all of that with, as a chaplain, one time we had a, a, a young Hispanic couple in our church and the grandmother lived across the street and the grandfather and all that stuff. And, um, and I get this phone call that grandma had died. Well, grandma had never been to our church and they all spoke Spanish and I didn't speak. I'm a gringo. I don't know any Spanish, right? And so, um, but she had died and the grandfather was traumatized or was upset and all the family was there. It was a large, large family. And so the, James was his name. He asked me to come and see, to see the family. So I go over there and I walk into this beautiful, a beautifully big Hispanic hacienda kind of house, you know, in, in, in this side of town. And I walk in and all the family is like at the front of the house and they're all talking to each other, but they're like avoiding the back of the house. And so I go, well, where's, so I asked, where's grandma? Well, she's back there. Okay. So I walk back and they all start following me. It was like chick, a chicken with her, their little chicks. They all start following me. What's he going to do? And I walk back there and grandma, grandma's clearly gone, right? So all the signs were there, the modeled feet and everything. She's clearly gone. And so what was really, what was amazing with them is they all avoided grandma. And I walked up to grandma and I, I patted grandma's hand, which was cold as ice at this point, and then I said, I said, I'm going to pray for grandma. And they immediately all started coming around grandma, and I started praying, I didn't pray for grandma, excuse me, I'm, let's pray. So we prayed, they all started gathering around, they put, started touching grandma. It was like the ice was broken, right? Not afraid, this is normal, this looks normal for this situation, and it just melted their hearts, right? It melted the room and the house. It just got warm and they began to weep and cry for grandma. It was perfect, but they were all avoiding because she had all those typical discolorations that came with that. Anyway, so they will educate you quite a bit. I mean, not school education, but you'll get some good stuff that you can use that will be really helpful. If you get to that stage and you have to take someone into hospice, read the material. Okay, don't sit there like I saw some families and go, if I avoid it, then I know it's not gonna happen, right? Denial is, is ignorance is bliss, but denial is just evil sometimes. And that's why they were saying earlier that uh, it's better, it's good to have the conversation earlier because the, the quality of care actually at times can, not always, and not even a sort of majority of time, but it can actually be beneficial to them in such a way that it extends for a, a little longer without the suffering. So they can actually have some more time to be with family, right? So I remember the gal, I told you about the gal with brain cancer, and she was just a screaming maniac because of the pain. I mean, she, there was no meaningful conversation going on with her and her family because she, the pain, right? 
they started put her in hospice and they started doing the pain management, palliative care with her. She was a little drunkish in her mannerisms, but she was able to have conversations. And so it gave her a little bit of cognitive, you know, togetherness to actually say goodbye to her kids, her grandkids, to tell them how much she loved them and so forth. It was really, it was really a good deal. So this is, uh, there was an article on the Gospel Coalition by Phil Newton, and that's also in their, the handout, if you want to grab that handout in the, the website. But he says, he said, let's consider seven aspects of shepherding the terminally ill. Right? Shepherding the terminally ill. This is kind of what we've been bumping up against here a little bit. Shepherd them the way that you would want to be shepherded. How would you want to be cared for when you're there? So like, it's just a funny little note. I learned this in seminary. It was just one of those conversations for an older minister. He said when he goes to do, to hosp- do hospice visits or hospital visits, he would stand on one foot. And when that leg got tired, he knew it was time to go. He was there five to seven minutes. But most of the time, people don't want a lot of, you know, intrusion, right? So I always use that as a rule of thumb and make it, you know, usually make them short visits unless you tell me, please stay longer, right? And so I thought that was really good. But I want to, that's, I understand. So it's like shepherd the way you want to be shepherded. Shepherd them with compassion, eye contact gentleness and touch touch right and I always ask permission when I would go in especially as a chaplain and they didn't necessarily maybe didn't know me I'd say is it okay if I put my hand on your shoulder so is it okay if I put my hand on your shoulder thank you and I would do this and they would just light up right so that touch but I they still have dignity and they still have control and so I would ask you permission was important but as family you know you already have that permission so actually touching holding hands holding their hand, even at the very end, holding their hand, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, do it all the time, yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, it is. And so, shepherd with gospel truth. Don't be afraid to talk about the gospel. I remember going to see a Buddhist patient and his family, and the family wanted me. He was Japanese, and I didn't know any Japanese. And he was in a coma anyways. And so, but the family, you know, as I'm getting relieved, said, would you like me to pray? They said, yes. I said, I understand I'm a Christian minister, and I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. Is that okay with you? I always got the permission. He said, yes, please, just do something. Great. And so, able to do that, left them some scripture, things like that. But you're just, just shepherd with gospel truth. Remind them who Jesus is and what He has done, is doing, will do for His people. Um, shepherd them with a view to eternity, with hope fixed on Christ. Shepherd them toward assurance of salvation. You believe in Jesus? I remember the, the, one of the ladies in my first church, she was becoming non-communicative. And, and I... Um, and her family was uncertain if she was a Christian. I was pretty certain, but she had never just come right out and said it to me. You know, she was a member of the church, but that doesn't mean, I mean it means things. But anyways, you got it. Anyway. So I went to go see her. She was in the hospital. I knew it was coming to the end, and I just looked at her, and I said, you know, we were, I was talking to her because she was not able to talk to me. I finally said, 
you know, our only hope is Jesus, that we trust in Jesus. He makes us right with God. He will carry us in. Do you trust in Jesus? And she grabbed my hand, this little bitty frail matron grabbed my hand and pulled herself up and all she said was, yes! And I said, you can go in peace. The Lord is on your side. He's with you, right? So that shepherding with assurance of salvation. Shepherd them toward joy in God's sovereignty. And then shepherd them with scripture-soaked prayers. This goes what you're talking about a minute ago. With good hymnody. It is a blessing, and yeah, but I can't tell them the song we sang. Okay, you know, <laughs> we were we were head banging. Our hair was flopping like this, you know. <laughs> That's right. The shepherd them with scripture-soaked prayers, good hymnody, and stories of saints finishing well. You know, and that can be even people that they remember in their lifetime. You remember how Aunt So and So finished. That's comfort. That's our faith. Oh, yeah. Anyways, so that's I think, is uh, helpful. You can find that at this, this site here, the Gospel Coalition article, Seven Ways to Shepherd Terminally Ill. So uh, we've got to end. Um, the next thing we'll do is we'll move in next week is we're going to move into getting our house into order and then to start finishing up. So hopefully we'll, we will wrap up in the next two Sundays. The next two Sundays we will be wrapped up. So if you have any questions, let me know. But we got to end. Yes, quick. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord God in heaven, that death is not the final voice. Death is not the end of all things. You are the final voice. And you spoke about death by raising your son from the dead, who's no longer subject to misery or mortality, and united to him. Life is our inheritance. So, Lord, we face death. There's still concerns and still sometimes worries, but yet we can face with faith. We can face with confidence, confidence in you. Help us to be able to shepherd and care for others when they move into this moment with the compassion that we would like to be shown as well. And I pray that all of us would be a witness of your great glory and of your gospel and of your grace in Jesus Christ to those around us and our family and friends who maybe are moving into the stages of uh, those final days. Lord, bless us now as we get ready to enter into the great assembly and fill us with your spirit and lift our hearts and... and um, May we be reminded again of how great you are. In Jesus' name, amen.